Chapter 6, narrated by Carter, Breakfast with a Crocodile. How to describe it? Not a nightmare. It was much more real and frightening. As I slept, I felt myself go weightless. I drifted up, turned, and saw my own sleeping form below. I'm dying, I thought, but that wasn't it either. It wasn't a ghost. I had a new shimmering golden form with wings instead of arms. I was some kind of bird. No, Sadie, not a chicken. Will you let me tell the story, please? I knew I wasn't dreaming because I don't dream in color and I certainly don't dream in all five senses. The room smelled faintly of jasmine. I could hear the carbonation bubbles pinging in the can of ginger ale I'd opened on my nightstand. I could feel a cold wind ruffling through my feathers and I realized the windows were open. I didn't want to leave, but a strong current pulled me out of the room like a leaf in a storm. The lights of the mansion faded below me. The skyline of New York blurred and disappeared. I shot through the mist and darkness, strange voices whispering all around me. My stomach tingled as it had earlier that night on Amos's barge. Then the mist cleared and I was in a different place. I floated above a barren mountain. Far below, a grid of city lights stretched across the valley floor. Definitely not New York. It was nighttime, but I could tell I was in the desert. The wind was so dry, the skin on my face was like paper. And I know that doesn't make any sense, but my face felt like my normal face, as if that part of me hadn't transformed into a bird. Fine, Sadie, call me the Carter-headed chicken. Happy? Below me on a ridge stood two figures. They didn't seem to notice me, and I realized I wasn't glowing anymore. In fact, I was pretty much invisible, floating in the darkness. I couldn't make out the two figures clearly, except to recognize that they weren't human. Staring harder, I could see that one was short, squat, and hairless, with slimy skin that glistened in the starlight, like an amphibian standing on its hind legs. The other was tall and scarecrow skinny, with rooster claws instead of feet. I couldn't see his face very well, but it looked red and moist and, well, let's just say I was glad I couldn't see it better. Where is he? The toady look looking one croaked nervously. Hasn't taken a permanent voice. Where is he? The toady looking one croaked nervously. Hasn't taken a permanent host yet, the rooster-footed guy chided. He can only appear for a short time. You're sure this is the place? Yes, fool. He'll be here soon. A fiery form appeared on the ridge. The two creatures fell to the ground, groveling in the dirt. And I prayed like crazy that I was really invisible. My lord, the toad said. Even in the dark, the newcomer was hard to see. Just the silhouette of a man outlined in flames. What do they call this place? The man asked. And as soon as he spoke, I knew for sure he was the guy who'd attacked my dad at the British Museum. All the fear I had felt at the museum came rushing back, paralyzing me. I remember trying to pick up that stupid rock to throw, but I hadn't been able to even do that. I had completely failed my dad. My lord, 
Roosterfoot said. The mountain is called Camelback. The city is called Phoenix. The fiery man laughed, a booming sound like thunder. Phoenix! How appropriate! And the desert so much like home. All it needs now is to be scoured of life. The desert should be a sterile place, don't you think? Oh yes, my lord, the toady agreed. But what of the other four? One is already entombed, the fiery man said. The second is weak. She'll be easily manipulated. That leaves only two, and they will be dealt with soon enough. Er, how? The toady asked. The fiery man glowed brighter. You are an inquisitive little tadpole, aren't you? He pointed at the toad, and the poor creature's skin began to steam. No, the toady begged. No! I could hardly watch. I don't want to describe it, but if you've heard what happens when cruel kids pour salt on snails, you'll have a pretty good idea of what happened to the toady. Soon, there was nothing left. Roosterfoot took a nervous step back, and I couldn't blame him. We'll build my temple here, the fiery man said, as if nothing had happened. This mountain shall serve as my place of worship. When it is complete, I will summon the greatest storm ever known. I will cleanse everything. Everything. Yes, my lord, Roosterfoot agreed quickly. And uh, if I may suggest, my lord, to increase your power... The creature bowed and scraped and moved forward as if he wanted to whisper in the fiery man's ear. Just when I thought Roosterfoot was going to become fried chicken for sure, he said something to the fiery dude that I couldn't make out, and the fiery dude burned brighter. Excellent. If you can do this, you will be rewarded. If not... I understand, my lord. Go then, the fiery man said. Unleash our forces. Start with the long necks. That should soften them up. Collect the younglings and bring them to me. I want them alive before they have time to learn their powers. Do not fail me. No, Lord. Phoenix, the fiery man mused. I like that very much. He swept his hand across the horizon as if he were imagining the city in flames. Soon I will rise from your ashes. It will be a lovely birthday present. I woke with my heart pounding back in my own body. I felt hot as if the fiery guy were starting to burn me. Then I realized that there was a cat on my chest. Muffin stared at me, her eyes half-closed. Wow. How did you get in? I muttered. I sat up, and for a second I wasn't sure where I was. Some hotel in another city? I almost called for my dad. And then I remembered. Yesterday. The museum. The sarcophagus. It all crashed out on me so hard I could barely breathe. 
Stop, I told myself, you don't have time for grief. And this is going to sound weird, but the voice in my head almost sounded like a different person, older and stronger. Either that was a good sign or I was going crazy. Remember what you saw, the voice said. He's after you. You have to be ready. I shivered. I wanted to believe that I just had a bad dream, but I knew better. I'd been through too much in the last day to doubt what I had seen. Somehow, I'd actually left my body while I slept. I had been to Phoenix, thousands of miles away. The fiery dude was there. I hadn't understood much of what he'd said, but he'd said something about sending his forces to capture the younglings. Gee, I wonder who that could be. Muffin jumped off the bed and sniffed at the ivory headrest, looking up at me as if she were trying to tell me something. You can have it, I told her. It's uncomfortable. She butted her head against it and stared at me accusingly. Meow. Whatever, cat. I got up and showered. When I tried to get dressed, I found that my old clothes had disappeared in the night. Everything in the closet was my size, but way different from what I was used to. Baggy drawstring pants and loose shirts, all plain white linen, and robes for cold weather. Kind of what the Falahin, the peasants in Egypt, wear. It wasn't exactly my style. Sadie likes to tell me that I don't have a style. She complains that I dress like I'm an old man. Button-down shirt, slacks, and dress shoes. Okay, maybe. But here's the thing. My dad had always drilled into my head that I had to dress my best. I remember the first time he explained it to me. I was 10. We were on our way to the airport in Athens, and it was like 112 degrees outside, and I was complaining that I wanted to wear shorts and a t-shirt. Why couldn't I be comfortable? We weren't going anywhere important that day, just traveling. My dad put his hand on my shoulder. Carter, you're getting older. You're an African-American man. People will judge you more harshly, and so you must always look impeccable. That isn't fair, I insisted. Fairness does not mean everyone gets the same, Dad said. Fairness means everyone gets what they need. And the only way to get what you need is to make it happen yourself. Do you understand? I told him I didn't, but still, I did what he asked. Like, caring about Egypt and basketball and music. Like traveling with only one suitcase. I dressed the way Dad wanted me to because Dad was usually right. In fact, I'd never known him to be wrong until that night at the Br British Museum. Anyway, I put on the linen clothes from the closet. The slipper shoes were comfortable, though I doubted they'd be much good to run in. The door to Sadie's room was open, but she wasn't there. Thankfully, my bedroom door wasn't locked anymore. Muffin joined me and we walked downstairs, passing a lot of unoccupied bedrooms on the way. The mansion could have easily held a hundred people, but instead it felt empty and sad. Down in the great room, Khufu, the baboon, sat on the sofa with a basketball between his legs and a chunk of strange-looking meat in his hands. It was covered in pink feathers. ESPN was on the television, and Khufu was watching highlights from the games the night before. Hey, I said, though I felt a little weird talking to him. Did the Lakers win? Khufu looked at me and patted his basketball like he wanted a game. Oh, oh. He had a pink feather hanging from his chin 
and the sight made my stomach do a slow roll. Um, yeah. Uh, I said, we'll play later, okay? I could see Sadie and Amos out on the terrace eating breakfast by the pool. It should have been freezing out there, but the fire pit was blazing and neither Amos nor Sadie looked cold. So I headed their way, but hesitated in front of the statue of Thoth. In the daylight, the bird-headed god didn't look quite so scary. Still, I could swear those beady eyes were watching me expectantly. What had the fiery guy said last night? Something about catching us before we learned our powers? It sounded ridiculous, but for a moment, I felt a surge of strength. Like the night before when I'd opened the front door just by raising my hand. I felt like I could lift anything, even this 30-foot tall statue if I wanted to. In a kind of trance, I stepped forward. Muffin meowed impatiently and butted my foot. The feeling dissolved. You're right, I told the cat. Stupid idea. Besides, I could smell breakfast now. French toast, bacon, hot chocolate. And I couldn't blame Muffin for being in a hurry. I followed her out to the terrace. Ah, Carter, Emma said. Merry Christmas, my boy. Join us. About time, Sadie grumbled. I've been up for ages. But she held my eyes for a moment, like she was thinking the same thing I was. Christmas. We hadn't spent a Christmas morning together since mom died. I wondered if Sadie remembered how we used to make God's eye decorations out of yarn and popsicle sticks. Amos poured himself a cup of coffee. His clothes were similar to those he'd worn the day before, and I had to admit the guy had style. His tailored suit was made of blue wool. He wore a matching fedora, and his hair was freshly braided with dark blue lapis lazuli, one of the stones the Egyptians often used for jewelry. Even his glasses matched. The round lenses were tinted blue. A tenor sax rested on a stand near the fire pit, and I could totally picture him playing out here, serenading the East River. As for Sadie, she was dressed in a white linen pajama outfit like me, but somehow she'd managed to keep her combat boots. She probably slept with them on. She looked pretty funny with the red streaked hair and that outfit, but since I wasn't dressed any better, I could hardly make fun of her. Um, Amos, I asked, you didn't have any pet birds, did you? Cause Khufu is eating something with pink feathers. Hmm, Amos sipped his coffee. Sorry if that disturbs you. Khufu's very picky. He only eats foods that ends in O. Doritos, burritos, flamingos. I blinked. Did you just say Carter? Sadie warned. She looked a little queasy, like she'd already had this conversation. Don't ask. Okay, I said. Not asking. Please, Carter, help yourself. Amos waved toward a buffet table piled high with food. Then we can get started with the explanations. I didn't see any flamingo on the buffet table, which was fine by me. Uh, but there was just about everything else. I snagged some pancakes with butter and syrup, some bacon, a glass of OJ. Then I noticed movement in the corner of my eye. I glanced at the swimming pool. Something long and pale was gliding just under the surface of the water. I almost dropped my plate. Is that... A crocodile, Amos confirmed. For good luck. He's albino, but please don't mention that. He's very sensitive. His name is Philip of Macedonia, 
Sadie informed me. I wasn't sure how Sadie was taking this all so calmly, but I figured if she wasn't freaking out, then I shouldn't either. That's a long name, I said. He's a long crocodile, Sadie said. Oh, and he likes bacon. To prove her point, she tossed a piece of bacon over her shoulder. Philip lunged out of the water and snapped up the treat. His hide was pure white and his eyes were pink. His mouth was so big, he could have snapped up an entire pig. He's quite harmless to my friends, Amos assured me. In the old days, no temple would be a complete without a lake full of crocodiles. They are powerful magic creatures. Right, I said. So, the baboon, the crocodile, any other pets I should know about? Amos thought for a moment. Um, visible ones? No, I think that's it. I took a seat as far from the pool as possible. Muffins circled my legs and purred. I hoped she had enough sense to stay away from magic crocodiles named Philip. So, Amos, I said between bites of pancake, explanations. Ah, yes, he agreed. Where to start? Our dad, Sadie suggested. What happened to him? Amos took a deep breath. Julius was attempting to summon a god. Unfortunately, it worked. It was kind of hard to take Amos seriously talking about summoning gods while he spread butter on a bagel. Any god in particular? I asked casually. Or did he just order a generic god? Sadie kicked me under the table. She was scowling, as if she actually believed what Amos was saying. Amos took a bite of bagel. There are many Egyptian gods, Carter, but your dad was after one in particular. He looked at us meaningfully. Osiris, I remembered. When dad was standing in front of the Rosetta Stone, he said, Osiris, come. But Osiris is a legend. He's make-believe. I wish that were true. Amos stared across the East River at the Manhattan skyline, gleaming in the morning sun. The ancient Egyptians were not fools, Carter. They built the pyramids. They created the first great nation state. Their civilization lasted thousands of years. Yeah, I said. And now they're gone. Amos shook his head. A legacy that powerful does not disappear. Next to the Egyptians, the Greeks and Romans were babies. Our modern nations like Great Britain and America blinks of an eye. The very oldest root of civilization, at least of Western civilization, is Egypt. Look at the pyramid on the dollar bill. Look at the Washington Monument, the world's largest Egyptian obelisk. Egypt is still very much alive. And so, unfortunately, are her gods. Come on, I argued. I mean, even if I believe there is a real thing called magic, believing in ancient gods is totally different. You're joking, right? But as I said it, I thought about the fiery guy in the museum, the way his face had shifted between human and animal, and the statue of Thoth, how its eyes had followed me. Carter, Amos said, the Egyptians would not have been stupid enough to believe in imaginary gods. The beings they described in their myths are very, very real. In the old days, the priests of Egypt would call upon these gods to channel their power and perform great feats. That is the origin of what we now call magic. Like many things, magic was first invented by the Egyptians. Each temple had a branch of magicians called the House of Life. Their magicians were framed, 
famed throughout the ancient world. And you're an Egyptian magician. Amos nodded. So was your father. You saw it for yourself last night. I hesitated. It was hard to deny that my dad had done some weird stuff at the museum. Some stuff that looked like magic. But he's an archaeologist, I said stubbornly. That's his cover story. You'll remember that he specialized in translating ancient spells, which are very difficult to understand unless you work magic yourself. Our family, the Kane family, has been part of the House of Life almost since the beginning. And your mother's family is almost as ancient. The Faust? I tried to imagine Grandma and Grandpa Faust doing magic, but unless watching rugby on TV and burning cookies was magical, I couldn't see it. They had not practiced magic for many generations, Amos admitted. Not until your mother came along. But yes, a very ancient bloodline. Sadie shook her head in disbelief. So now mum was magic too? Are you joking? No jokes, Amos promised. The two of you, you combine the blood of two ancient families, both of which have a long, complicated history with the gods. You are the most powerful Cain children to be born in many centuries. I tried to let that sink in. At the moment, I didn't feel powerful. I felt queasy. You're telling me our parents secretly worshipped animal-headed gods? I asked. Not worshipped, Amos corrected. By the end of the ancient times, Egyptians had learned that their gods were not to be worshipped. They are powerful beings, primeval forces, but they are not divine in the sense that one might think of God. They are created entities, like mortals, only much more powerful. We can respect them, fear them, use their power, or even fight them to keep them under control. Fight gods? Sadie interrupted. Constantly, Amos assured her. But we don't worship them. Thoth taught us that. I looked at Sadie for help. The old guy had to be crazy. But Sadie was looking like she believed every word. So I said, why did dad break the Rosetta Stone? Oh, I'm sure he didn't mean to break it, Amos said. That would have horrified him. In fact, I imagine my brethren in London have repaired the damage by now. The curators will soon check their vaults and discover that the Rosetta Stone miraculously survived the explosion. But it was exploded into a million pieces, I said. How could they repair it? Amos picked up a saucer and threw it into the stone floor. The saucer shattered instantly. That was to destroy, Amos said. I could have done it by magic. Hadi. But it's much simpler to just smash it. And now, Amos held out his hand. Join. Hinem. A blue hieroglyphic symbol burned in the air above his palm. The pieces of saucer flew into his hand and reassembled like a puzzle. Even the smallest bits of dust gluing themselves into, into place. Amos put the perfect saucer back on the table. Some trick, I managed. I tried to sound calm about it, but I was thinking of all the odd things that happened to my dad and me over the years. Like those gunmen in the Cairo Hotel who ended up hanging by their feet from the chandelier. Was it possible that my dad had made that happen with some kind of spell? Amos poured milk in the saucer and put it on the floor. Muffin came padding over. 
At any rate, your father would never intentionally damage a relic. He simply didn't realize how much power the Rosetta Stone contained. You see, as Egypt faded, its magic collected and concentrated into its remaining relics. Most of these, of course, are still in Egypt, but you can find some in almost every major museum. A magician can use these artifacts as focal points to work more powerful spells. I don't get it, I said. Amos spread his hands. I'm sorry, Carter. It takes years of study to understand magic, and I'm trying to explain it to you in a single morning. The important thing is, for the past six years, your father has been looking for a way to summon Osiris, and last night he thought he had found the right artifact to do it. Wait, why did he want Osiris? Sadie gave me a troubled look. Carter, Osiris was the Lord of the Dead. Dad was talking about making things right. He was talking about mom. Suddenly the morning seemed colder. The fire pit sputtered in the wind coming off the river. Suddenly the morning seemed colder. The fire pit sputtered in the wind coming off the river. He wanted to bring mom back from the dead, I said. But that's crazy. Amos hesitated. It would have been dangerous, inadvisable, and foolish, but not crazy. Your father is a powerful magician. If, in fact, that is what he was after, he might have accomplished it using the power of Osiris. I stared at Sadie. You're actually buying this? You saw the magic at the museum. The fiery bloke. Dad summoned something from the stone. Yeah, I said, thinking of my dream. But that wasn't Osiris, was it? No, Amos said. Your father got more than he bargained for. He did release the spirit of Osiris. In fact, I think he successfully joined with the god. Joined with? Amos held up his hand. Another long conversation. For now, let's just say he drew the power of Osiris into himself. But he never got the chance to use it. Because, according to what Sadie has told me, it appears that Julius released five gods from the Rosetta Stone. Five gods who were all trapped together. I glanced at Sadie. You told him everything? He's going to help us, Carter. I wasn't quite ready to trust this guy, even if he was our uncle. But I decided I didn't have much choice. Okay, yeah, I said. The fiery guy said something like, you released all five. What did he mean? Amos sipped his coffee. The faraway look on his face reminded me of my dad. I don't want to scare you. It's too late. The gods of Egypt are very dangerous. For the last 2,000 years or so, we magicians have spent much of our time binding and banishing them whenever they appear. In fact, our most important law, issued by Chief Lector Iskandar in Roman times forbids unleashing the gods or using their power. Your father broke that law once before. Sadie's face paled. Does this have something to do with mom's death? Cleopatra's needle in London? It has everything to do with that, Sadie. Your parents, well, they thought they were doing something good. They took a terrible risk and it cost your mother her life. Your father took the blame. He was exiled, I suppose you would say. 
banished. He was forced to move around constantly because the house monitored his activities. They feared he would continue his research. And indeed he did. I thought about the times dad would look over his shoulder as he copied some ancient inscriptions or wake me up at three or four in the morning and insist it was time to change hotels or warn me not to look in his work bag or copy certain pictures from old temple walls as if our lives depended on it. Is that why you never came round? Sadie asked Amos. Because dad was banished? The house forbade me to see him. I loved Julius. It hurt me to stay away from my brother and from you children, but I could not see you until last night when I simply had no choice but to try to help. Julius has been obsessed with finding Osiris for years. He was consumed with grief because of what happened to your mother. When I learned that Julius was about to break the law again to try to set things right, I had to stop him. A second offense would have meant a death sentence. Unfortunately, I failed. I should have known he was too stubborn. I looked down at my plate. My food had gotten cold. Muffin leaped onto the table and rubbed against my hand. When I didn't object, she started eating my bacon. Last night at the museum, I said, the girl with the knife, the man with the forked beard, were they magicians too, from the House of Life? Yes, said Amos, keeping an eye on your father. You are fortunate that they let you go. The girl wanted to kill us, I remember, but the guy with the beard said, not yet. They don't kill unless it's absolutely necessary, Amos said. They will wait to see if you are a threat. Why would we be a threat, Sadie demanded. We're children. The summoning wasn't our idea. Amos pushed away his plate. There is a reason you two are raised separately. Because the Faust took dad to court, I said matter-of-factly and dad lost. It was much more than that, Amos said. The house insisted you two be separated. Your father wanted to keep you both, even though he knew how dangerous it was. Sadie looked like she'd been smacked between the eyes. He did? Of course, but the house intervened and made sure that your grandparents got custody of you, Sadie. If you and Carter were raised together, you could become very powerful. Perhaps you have already sensed changes over the past day. I thought about the surges of strength that I'd been feeling and the way Sadie suddenly seemed to know how to read ancient Egyptian. And then I thought of something even further back. Your sixth birthday, I told Sadie. The cake, she said immediately, the memory passing between us like an electric spark. At Sadie's sixth birthday, the last one that we'd shared as a family, Sadie and I had a huge argument. I don't remember what it was about. I think I wanted to blow out the candles for her. We started yelling. She grabbed my shirt and I pushed her. I remember dad rushing toward us, trying to intervene. But before he could, Sadie's birthday cake exploded. Icing splattered the walls, our parents, the faces of Sadie's little six-year-old friends. Mom and dad separated us. They sent me to my room. Later, they said we must have hit the cake by accident as we were fighting, but I knew we hadn't. Something much weirder made it explode, as if it responded to our anger. I remembered Sadie crying with a chunk of cake on her forehead, an upside-down candle stuck to the ceiling with its wick still burning, and an adult visitor, one of my parents' friends, his glasses speckled with white frosting. I turned to Amos. 
That was you. You were at Sadie's party. Vanilla icing, he recalled. Very tasty. But it was clear even then that you two would be difficult to raise in the same household. And so, I faltered, what happens to us now? I didn't want to admit it, but I couldn't stand the thought of being separated from Sadie again. She wasn't much, but she was all I had. You must be trained properly, Amos said, whether the house approves or not. Why wouldn't they approve, I asked. I will explain everything, don't worry. But we must start your lessons if we are to stand a chance of finding your father and putting things right. Otherwise, the entire world is in danger. If only we knew where... Phoenix, I blurted out. Amos stared at me. What? Last night I had... Well, not a dream exactly. I felt stupid, but I told him what had happened while I slept. Judging from Amos' expression, the news was even worse than I thought. You're sure he said birthday present? He asked. Well, yeah, but what does that mean? And a permanent host, Amos said. He didn't have one yet? Well, that's what the rooster-footed guy said. That was a demon, Amos said. A minion of chaos. And if demons are coming through to the mortal world, we don't have much time. This is very, very bad. If you live in Phoenix, I said. Carter, our enemy won't stop in Phoenix. If he's grown so powerful so fast. What did he say about the storm exactly? He said, I will summon the greatest storm ever known. Amos scowled. The last time he said that, he created the Sahara Desert. A storm that large could destroy North America, generating enough chaos energy to give him almost invincible form. What are you talking about? Who is this guy? Amos waved away the question. More important right now, why didn't you sleep with the headrest? I shrugged. It was uncomfortable. I looked at Sadie for support. You didn't use it, did you? Sadie rolled her eyes. Well, of course I did. It was obviously there for a reason. Sometimes I really hate my sister. Ow, that was my foot. Carter, Amos said, sleep is dangerous. It's a doorway into the duot. Lovely, Sadie grumbled. Another strange world. Uh, yes, sorry, Amos said. The duot is the world of spirits and magic. It exists beneath the waking world like a vast ocean with many layers and regions. We submerged just under its surface last night to reach New York because travel through the Dua is much faster. Carter, your consciousness also passed through the shallowest currents as you slept, which is how you witnessed what was happening in Phoenix. Fortunately, you survived the experience, but the deeper you go into the Dua, the more horrible things you encounter and the more difficult it is to return. There are entire realms filled with demons, places where gods exist in their pure form, so powerful that their mere presence would burn a human to ashes. There are prisons that hold beings of unspeakable evil and some chasms so deep and chaotic that not even the gods dare to explore them. Now that your powers are stirring, you must not sleep without protection, or you leave yourself open to attacks from the duo, or unintended journeys through it. The headrest is enchanted to keep your consciousness anchored to your body. You mean I actually did? My mouth tasted like metal. He could have killed me? Amos's expression was grave. 
the fact that your soul can travel like that means that you're progressing faster than I thought. Faster than should be possible. If the Red Lord had noticed you. The Red Lord, Sadie said. That's the fiery bloke? Amos rose. I must find out more. We simply can't wait for him to find you. And if he releases the storm on his birthday at the height of his powers. You mean you're going to Phoenix? I could barely get the words out. Amos, that fiery man defeated dad like his magic was a joke. Now he's got demons and he's getting stronger and you'll be killed. Amos gave me a dry smile, like he'd already weighed the dangers and didn't need a reminder. His expression reminded me painfully of dad's. Don't count your uncle out so quickly, Carter. I've got some magic of my own. Besides, I must see what is happening for myself if we're to have any chance at saving your father and stopping the Red Lord. I'll be quick and careful. Just stay here. Muffin will guard you. I blinked. The cat will guard us? You can't just leave us here. What about our training? When I return, Amos promised. Don't worry. The mansion is protected. Just do not leave. Do not be tricked into opening the door for anyone. And whatever happens, do not go into the library. I absolutely forbid it. I'll be back by sunset. And before we could protest, Amos walked calmly to the edge of the terrace and jumped off. No! Sadie screamed. We ran to the railing and looked over. Before, below was a hundred foot drop into the East River. There was no sign of Amos. He had simply vanished. Philip of Macedonia was splashing in his pool. Muffin jumped onto the railing and insisted that we pet her. We were alone in the strange mansion with a baboon, a crocodile, and a weird cat. And apparently the entire world was in danger. I looked at Sadie. What do we do now? She crossed her arms. Well, that's obvious, isn't it? We explore the library.